We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I'm Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. And he is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. We are together again, and you can sing mm-hmm. the Muppet song. I told you, you I hadn't fired him. I, everybody was worried I fired you on <laughs> Friday, Vince, because you weren't at the mailbag. But I told no, you. No, I was taking care of business here <laughs> at, uh, at school. But uh, I'm back, and I'm better than ever, ready to rock and roll. Um, we got a fun one today for everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about the Jeff Quinn era officially beginning. And we're going to talk about why, because, of course, Jeff Quinn has been on the staff for a few years now. It's not this like will be his fourth year as the offensive yeah, line coach. Th- th- it's not like, he, you know, he's just starting, right? Like the Marcus Freeman era is just starting. Mm-hmm. No, no, Marcus Freeman tenure is starting. Correct. There's a the um, difference. And, and we're going to talk about why we feel like this is kind of a – a new start uh, for Jeff Quinn. And we're going to find out, um, you know, what, where Jeff Quinn is, what, what are mm-hmm. his chops, honestly. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's a lot, this is a fun discussion. This is going to be a yeah. really fun discussion. And it's going to be one that I think a lot of different people are going to come on different sides mm-hmm. of it. And, and yeah. that's kind of what we wanted to do is, is kind of create a conversation where it's not going to be something where it's just a sharing analysis. It's us sharing our opinion and, and, expecting that there's going to be people that don't sure. agree with it and are going to push back. And that's part of the fun of having these, yes, these kind of conversations, because look, let's just set the stage, right? So first of all, uh, here's, here's what's happening. You just lost Chris Watt graduate assistant. And, and I love the, the Notre Dame fans are like, you know, think it's, 
why are you acting like this is a big deal? Oh, and big he deal. was a graduate assistant. <clears throat> let, let me explain something to you, okay? Chris Watt was hired by Notre Dame, by Brian Kelly, because the Notre Dame, several, several veteran Notre Dame players asked him, asked Brian Kelly to hire Chris Watt. Chris Watt wasn't your typical graduate assistant. Right, right. So, and we'll get into that a little bit. The other, the other thing is, you you lost four starting offensive linemen. Correct. Right. All four were Harry Heastan recruits. Yep. And three of the four had basically, you know, two of the four had started games under Harry Heastan, and that would be Robert Hainsey and Tommy Kramer. And these guys that were these guys were recruited and handpicked by Harry Heastan all played for Harry Heastan for at least a year. Right. And the only one that didn't play for him, Aaron Banks and Robert Hainsey only played for a year, but Robert Hainsey started games as a right. true freshman under Harry Heastan. So you went from having four starting offensive linemen that were Harry Heastan recruits and had been coached for part of their career to Harry, by Harry Heastan to now there's one, yep. and that's Josh Luck, right? who only played for Coach Heastan for a year. So And never started underneath him. I mean, correct. Was, he was he was a redshirt freshman, you know, all of that. So right. So you lose four. You lose your sort of your your last, um, you know, and 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 the guys that that played, the starters that played, still had a a. Let's just say that 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 Coach Heastan's hand was was a lot more involved than you'd think. Correct. And leave it at that. Um, and. You know those guys are those guys are now all gone. Sure, you had Chris Watt who played under Harry Heastan and was a legitimate Harry Heastan disciple, very close to Coach Heastan. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Chip Long is the person who gave Chris Watt his first offensive line coaching job. That is where Chris Watt has gone is to Tulane, where Chip Long is the offensive coordinator. Right. Uh, Coach Chip Long and Coach Heastan have a very very good relationship. So again, I, there's a lot of connections there. This is a Harry Heastan guy. He very much coached in ways that were very similar to what he learned during his tenure at Notre Dame playing for Coach Heastan. So you had the Harry Heastan blueprint was still very much on the offensive line in 2020 more than the previous two years because of the presence of Chris Watt. And so this is going to be our first glimpse of seeing what a Jeff Quinn offensive line looks like from the standpoint of not just guys that he's primarily coached, which right. was true last year, right? but also now made up of guys that primarily he recruited. Yep. And so this is going to be the first edition of the Notre Dame offensive line that is primarily going to have the blueprint, the DNA of Jeff Quinn. Right. In every shape, form, or fashion. So that is what we mean by this is the start of the Jeff Quinn era. And so there's a lot of questions that come from this that we'll kind of dive into during this, Vince. So I, I want to, you know, you talked about the the Chris Watt influence um, and how important that was and how <clears throat> he was basically an extension of Harry Heastan. Mm-hmm. And you kind of went a little bit into his backstory. I feel like there's some other stuff that you want to put out there about Chris Watt and why he was so important to this group. Um, and then we'll talk about his actual influence on the, the offensive line right? specific to when he was the graduate assistant versus when he wasn't the graduate right. assistant. So all no, no, like with anything, not everybody's has the same role at different schools, right? Sure. Some graduate assistants are just literally that they're just 
you know, they run the scout teams and <clears throat> they do things like that. Chris Watt was not your typical graduate assistant. He was essentially like a co-offensive line coach. It was correct. It was kind of like in 2017, Tommy Reese was technically a graduate assistant. Does so anyone think he was your coach. typical graduate right. assistant? No, yeah. he was he was a he had an office, you know. Right, he was, right. Yeah, right. He was the quarterback's coach. Right. You know, it affected his bank account, but that's about it. Well, right. And Chris Watt played in the NFL for several years. I think he's his, okay. I think his bank account's okay. Uh, but Chris Watt was was a guy that when he got out of the NFL, because he actually started, I believe he started games as a rookie, but he just had some injuries that kept him from ever really getting to the level that that I'm sure he would have liked. And he was never a real big guy to begin with, but was always a really tough, gritty lineman. Yes. Uh, and he wanted to get into coaching. And so he actually spent time in, you know, year, you know, cut over a couple seasons where he would kind of one of the traditions that Harry Heastan created, and, and Robert Hainsey talked about this with us uh, in the interview we did uh, with him last week. If you haven't seen it, it's up on our podcast channel and it's up on our YouTube channel. It was a great about 30-minute conversation. Yeah, really and good. He <clears throat> talked about the impact he wanted to leave at Notre Dame. And he talked about how every offseason, Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Ronnie Stanley, Chris Watt, Nick Martin, all those guys – that that played under Coach Eastan would always come back, and they'd come back to camps. They'd come back to work out with the guys that are currently on the team because there's there's like a even though I'm gone, that's still my legacy. Yeah, and so there was very much a buy-in. Well, Chris Watt was one of those guys, and so for whatever reason, the players really connected well with Chris Watt and and really took to him and sought his advice and 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 allowed themselves to be coached by him in some ways and, sure. and what i was told by multiple sources is that the players went to Brian Kelly before the 2019 season and said we really think we'd really like to have him here and uh, it just it didn't work out for whatever reason i don't know if Brian Kelly was resistant to it or it didn't work out for Chris Watt i don't know the answer to that i just know that they didn't make that move well, they went to him again the next offseason, and Brian Kelly made the move, and he made it happen, and he brought in Chris Watt. And it was very well received by the offensive linemen because, number one, the head coach, you know, they felt like, okay, we, we yeah. reached out. We told him our opinion. It wasn't like a mandate. It wasn't like a, sure, you know, coach, you better hire him. It was more like, a, hey, we think this would help us. Yeah. And so he made the move. But it shows that they were heard and that yes. the, coach, that the yes. coach heard what they had to say. And yes. that, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it is. In it any is. relationship. Especially in a relationship where they didn't really, let's be honest, a lot of players don't feel like Brian Kelly necessarily, they don't have that kind of connection with Brian Kelly. Sure. Uh, you know, I've had guys leave, said so I've never had more than a high-buy conversation with Coach Kelly during my tenure here. So there is a disconnect. No matter how much yeah. the spin machine has tried to say since post-2016, it's a different deal. It's not. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be. I think part of that is on purpose. I think part of that is Brian Kelly wants the assistants to be the go-to sure. for the players because it's hard sure. for one guy to manage 85 people. You need them Plus, to first go to the coaches and everything. Else. I mean, there's a hundred, right. right? So I'm not so, necessarily, yeah. I'm not really sure. criticizing him per se, but, but that can create a disconnect to where maybe you don't feel like your coach has your back. Right. Well, when you make a move like that and, and there are leaders on the team that are the ones doing this and then you say, yeah, let's do it. It says, yeah, coach has our back. Yes, and and I think that's an important thing for them to feel. So, so that was some positives that he did, but but also Jeff Quinn, kudos to Jeff Quinn because he allowed Chris Watt to have a bigger role than what you'd expect of your normal graduate assistant, because he could and have been very resistant, very to much so. His players going and asking Coach Kelly to bring in 
another coach. Like that, very much so. That could have gone very yeah. badly. <laughs> and it, it can be challenging for a full-time assistant coach to allow a young coach to have a voice heard. And I think that we've seen a couple Notre Dame coaches do this. Uh, Mike Elko did this, and I can't remember the, the guy's name off the top of my head, but he had a, a GA that he allowed to do a lot of coaching. Clark Lee with Chris O'Leary and Nick Lazinski has allowed them to do a lot of actual coaching, right? Uh, especially Chris O'Leary, and that, that's kind of why he's now the safeties coach at Notre Dame. And so the, very similar situation with Chris Watt. And so it wasn't your typical GA. So if you're sitting there saying, oh, it's just a GA, it's no big deal. It's it's a big deal. Huge deal, yeah. And so uh, – and, and then you lose him at the same time that you're losing four starters. So it, it creates a very interesting dynamic. And, and look, I mean, the numbers, the numbers don't lie, right? I mean, well, yeah, that's in the, 20 yeah. – you look at the last year of Harry Heastan – Notre Dame averaged 269.3 rushing yards per game, right? Um, 2018, they dropped down to 182, and they averaged 4.4 yards per carry after averaging 6.3 yards per carry in 2017. And part of that, you lose Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey. Sure. I get it. Yeah. 2019, they averaged 4.9 yards per carry, but they were down in yards. They were down to 179. Right. And and if you look at the, the numbers in 2019, they had a couple games where they really padded the stats, you know, USC and, and a couple games. But, you know, they had a game where they had 47 yards rushing, game where they had 46 yards rushing, game where they had 105 yards rushing. It was it was not always a pretty product. Sure. Right. Uh, and then you fast forward to 2020 and Notre Dame averages over 200 yards a game, 211.1 yards per game. 5.1 yards per carry, 33 touchdowns in a year where the pass game did almost nothing to really protect the run game. And so it, it's it's everything looked different about this team. And and, and that's kind of the, 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 the concern is what was the big knock, Vince, that we had the previous two years? It was there was a lot of catching. There wasn't a lot of movement yep. at the line of scrimmage. It was like everything's pass blocking. Right. And, which and Chris, I mean, uh, Coach Quinn is – Jeff Quinn is excellent as a pass blocking coach. And we knew that when he got hired. I mean, it, look, he was Cincinnati was primarily a passing football team. Correct. And they were really good at run blocking. And that doesn't mean again, this isn't saying Jeff Quinn's not a good offensive line coach. We're not no, we're, we're not having that conversation. It's some coaches, just like with anything, some coaches are better at teaching certain things than other things. Sure. And, and for him, he's a much better pass blocking coach than he was a run blocking coach. And I think this year we saw physicality, we saw yep. movement, we saw toughness, we saw Taking the zones the being more right. the other side. Yeah. Dramatically different. And it's not it wasn't the kind of difference that normally happens when just because guys are veterans. It, right. it wasn't that kind it was of same jump. group of guys. Like that's it, it, yeah, yeah, that's usually an execution jump. Yes. Like 2016, that line showed flashes. It was always a physical line, but it just it had some execution issues. The right guard situation was a little challenging. And then in 2017, they cleaned some stuff on it, became the best line in the country. But you, you, it wasn't a change in how they played. It's just they played better. This was a change in how they played, and it's yes. not a coincidence that a Harry Heastan disciple is heavily involved with what we saw in that in that year. It's just it's not a coincidence. Yeah, and, and so. That, that to me, is why we say Coach Eastan still had his DNA, his fingerprints still very much on the 2020 offensive line, in, not from a personnel and a, a coaching standpoint, even though he wasn't the coach. And, and like I said, results speak for itself. And now you're losing all of it. It's all gone. All I mean, there, there's going to be 
there's going to be because like and the the reason it matters is who he recruited because guys that Harry Heastan recruited, you know, I'm sure there was still some sort of you know you could call coach and have their opinion or or sort of vicariously through Chris Watt. There's all types of sure. ways they could have made that happen. I got to be careful with what I say here, but uh, well, the, the, the bottom guy, line was he's in town. His kids go to a local high school. I mean, it's not that far away. <clears throat> As far as to get attention, and that's not that's public knowledge. That's not right. I'm not saying that that day we're going to his house for barbecues. I'm just right. saying if but, they wanted to reach out, it would not be difficult. Right. That's what I'm saying. Now these kids aren't going to be reaching out to Harry Heastan because they don't know Coach Heastan. That's exactly right. Yes, and, and and that that's a thing. And and there's no there's not that sort of that bridge with Correct. Coach Watt like we had. So the question is is okay. Now this presents a whole new set of challenges, and now. It cannot be said that what happens moving forward is because of Harry Heastan, right? You, you can't say that anymore. If, right. if Notre Dame goes out and has a great offensive line over the next two, three years, you can't say, well, yeah, it's because Coach Heastan recruited those guys or Coach Heastan worked with those guys or Coach Heastan had his, you know, one of his former players there as a GA. It's all on Jeff Quinn, yeah, good right. or bad. And so you could say, well, he started a tradition, the offensive line tradition at Notre Dame has been around for a lot longer before he or he was here. Yes, agreed. You know, so this was directly this type of offensive line play that Harry Heastan brought. And and now, Vince, there's a whole new set of challenges for Jeff Quinn and how well he answers those challenges is going to, is going to help him, I think, fully establish himself as, hey, we're having this success because of me. And what I believe in and what I'm doing. Love what Coach Eastan did. I learned from Coach Eastan, but, but we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is my group. And... You know, it's an opportunity for him, but it's also a challenge because, as we said, you lost four starters who are all NFL caliber players, and uh, and you lost your your graduate assistant who was an NFL player and played, you know, for one of the best offensive line minds in the in the game of the from the last couple decades. And you know, it's kind of all happening at once. So it's kind of like, well, could I just maybe have had a bridge of maybe three starters coming back? But you know, obviously that's not the case. It's uh, it's it's going to look a lot different. Brian, before we get into those specific challenges, uh, I want to take just a quick second so that our listeners can hear from uh, one of our sponsors. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. 
Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Brian, let's talk about those challenges that you kind of outlined. Um, you know, Jeff Quinn is basically going cold turkey, for, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, uh, when it comes to the, the change from last year to this year, from 20 to 21. Very, very light on experience up front. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Jarrett Patterson is a returning starter, but he's not going to be most likely returning to the position that he is a returning starter from. And we don't uh, know how much he's going to be available this spring. And, and Josh Lugg is a returner, but he's not a returning starter. He does have starts under his belt. I think nine, right? Yeah. I believe he, eight or nine. But he was basically the sixth man. At three uh, different positions. Right. And so, so he brings like, experience. Yeah. He brings experience, but he's not technically, excuse me, a returning starter. So very light on experience up front. That's going to be a big challenge for Jeff Quinn going into 21. Yeah, and, and th- this is a position that I think is going to be hurt more than most by the fact that Notre Dame's offense underachieved last year. And, and look, here's the reality. We, we have to be able to kind of find some common ground. You can still love Brian Kelly and love Tommy Reese and, all, and love Ian Book and still admit the fact that the offense wasn't as good as it should have been. Well, you have Or to. wasn't a great offense last year. I mean, the fact sure. is they played 12 games. Six of those games were against teams that had a record under 500. And two of those games against opponents with a with a sub plus five hundred record, they were six and five. And and one of those six and five in both of the games against six and five teams, they scored over forty points. Ironically, against Pitt and and Boston College, you know you scored twenty seven points against a Duke team that gave up over thirty points a game. You scored twelve points against a Louisville team that I also believe gave up over thirty points a game. The problem with all of that, it, and you 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 were late pulling away from from Syracuse. You were late pulling right. away from Georgia Tech. The problem with a lot of that is the fact that you couldn't, you you didn't get your backups in against Duke. You didn't get your backups in against Louisville. Those are games where, where for Clemson, their second string offensive line is getting 15, 20, 25 snaps. And you knew, and, you knew going in that you were going to lose the majority of your offensive line. Whether yeah. Aaron Banks comes back or not, you're still losing three guys. And you right. knew that going in. Well, it's just, it's one of those things where Brian Kelly has never shown that he really cares much about that. You know, and and I think that's a mistake, and and you know it is what it is. I don't want to harp too much on it because then people think it's just being critical of Brian Kelly. But the fact is, is that the offensive lineman didn't get a lot of playing time last year, and and, right. and against a schedule where they they should have. Yes, agreed. And so you look at it and say, well, these guys just don't have a lot of game experience. Period. I mean, some of the f- players that we're going to talk about is in contenders for starting jobs don't even have a hundred career snaps. You know, John Dirksen, Michael Carmody, I don't think played a single snap last year. Tosh Baker played seven. Quinn Carroll barely played last year. Even Andrew Kostafik, who's played as a rotation guy the last two years, I don't believe is, is to a hundred career snaps. When you go look at Clemson last year, it was be 2019. Actually, they had like four or five backup offensive linemen got well over 100 snaps against a schedule that's pretty comparable to the one Notre Dame played this year, which is sure. not a strong schedule. Outside you're on the same Clemson. conference. I mean, you're going to have a similar right. schedule. Right. And so it, it, that's going to hurt. That's that's a challenge for Coach Quinn as well because it's it's one thing to have starting experience. And it's another thing to say, hey, well, look, yeah, he didn't start any games, but this kid's played a lot. Yeah. You know, they don't have that. And even Zeke Carell, who got two starts, that's about the only playing time he got. He barely played against Pitt, and he didn't play that much against South Florida. 
So the two starts were were most of his experience, and then he didn't play any at all the year before that, which isn't surprising. He was a freshman the year before right. that. Your work, you're you're going into a situation, Vince, where you, you not only lost a lot of experience, a lot of production, a lot of leadership, but you're you're replacing it with guys who who really don't know what the battle is like. And and that presents an incredibly unique circumstance for an offensive line coach more than others. I don't believe that experience is overly important at running back or wide receiver. I just don't. I think offensive line and quarterback, especially offensive line, are two positions where experience is so important. Yeah. Because it's not just you out there. Like if you're a receiver, True. hey, I know I got to run a route. I know what the route is. I know the technique, and I, I'm going to run the route. Offensive line, it's you're you're always working in concert with somebody else. Yep. You know, it's it's like the difference between a solo singer and a guy that's in a group. If yeah. a solo singer could be off key or do whatever, just start making stuff up, and no one knows, it's just a great show. But if if two of the five in the you know in a, in a group of singers start doing their own thing, it's going to sound terrible. Yeah. It's like what, that's good what is this guy drunk? You know, um, and so. <laughs> That's that's the that's that's what makes it unique and makes it different is because you are working in concert with four other guys. And so you're gonna have a group of guys to your point earlier about about Patterson, even though you have guys coming back, Josh Lug has I think nine career starts. Well, he didn't start, he he's most likely gonna start a tackle. Yep. From what we've been told, him and Jarrett Patterson are gonna start spring as the tackles. But he didn't have any starts at tackle last year. He he did in 2019. He didn't hardly play. He didn't play much at tackle. Yeah, this past guard year. And he was playing guard and center. <clears throat> Zeke Carell had two starts, but that's really about the only experience he had. So you're really light on experience, and especially at guard, there's a ton of question marks. So that's what you have. That's what he's up against. That's what's on his plate. And the expectation should be that the offensive line is still going to be good. That's the other thing. It's you're at Notre Dame. Yes. You've recruited top linemen year after year after year after year. Clemson lost four starters along their offensive line this year, and guess what? They scored, still scored over 40 points a game, despite not having their starting quarterback, all-generation quarterback, for two games. You know, uh, Alabama loses starters every year. Sure, They lost Landon Dickerson and Alex Leatherwood. Is anyone going to be like, oh, boy, they're going to have a big step back? No, it's just the expe- expectation is they're going to still be really good. No one expects the offensive line to play like it did in 2020, but it's so I don't expect them to be the second or third best offensive line in the country. I still believe they were the best line in the country when before Jared Patterson got hurt, but nobody expects them to be that good, but they should still be top 10. Yeah, right. That should still be the expectation. So that's what that's what Jeff Quinn has to deal with. And if they are good again, then I think now is we can finally look at it and say, okay. This is all on Jeff Quinn. Because if you're if you're someone who was critical of the Jeff Quinn hire, which I was, you can you can acknowledge that he did a good job in 2020, but you should also, if you're a pro Jeff Quinn guy, also be willing to acknowledge that he was still building on the foundation that Harry Heastan laid. I mean, Chris Watts' presence was a big part of that. We should we should be able to both agree on those things. Jeff Quinn deserves a lot of credit for what we saw last year. Sure. But it wasn't just Jeff Jeff Quinn. It was a lot of the Harry Heastan influence. And now it's now it's kind of one of those things where that's that's no longer the case. If the line's good this year, a, a person who was critical of the hire like myself can no longer say, "Well, he's still working with the Harry Heastan Foundation." No, it's okay. Yeah, great yeah. job, Coach. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. And and I have a I have a question, Vince. Uh-oh. I think there's two questions that we need to address about this. Okay. Number one is, what's the run game going to look like in 2021? And, and because what we had talked about earlier, you'd mentioned this, a lot of catching 
Yes. And and should we explain that? I'm already, yeah, I, I was going to ask you to do that. Like, okay. just kind of explain the difference in 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 what we saw in 18 and 19 versus what we saw in 20, and why that matters to the run game. So, so what we when we talk about catching, um, and that is primarily what you do when you're pass blocking. Now, you can be an aggressive pass blocker, but you're giving space. If you're a tackle, let's say. You know, they, they work on their steps back, right? If you're a right tackle, you work on your right leg being back, your left leg being up, and then you, you, you reach back with that right leg. You're giving ground, so you're receiving uh, that rush by the defensive end, and then you're holding your ground. That, that's what you do as a pass rusher. When you are or when a pass blocker, excuse me, when you are a run blocker, you need to take the fight to the defense. Mm-hmm. You need to explode out of your stance. You need to establish the line of scrimmage further upfield than where it began. That is your goal. You want, as a team, as a group, you want to push that line of scrimmage forward one, two, three yards. Call it resetting the resetting the line of scrimmage. That is correct. And and the defensive line is trying to do the exact opposite. They're trying to reset the offensive line backwards. Uh, so that that line of scrimmage is in the backfield because then, the, you know, the quarterback has issues, the running back has issues, all of that. So when you're run blocking, it is so critical for that first step to be a power step right where you want to go, you know, whether it's the ear hole, a defensive tackle, whether you're going to climb or, you know, double and climb, whatever you're doing, it needs to be with aggression, okay? Mm-hmm. It needs to be a power step upfield. Great pad level. Uh, Correct. Exploding your hips through contact. Yes, all of that. All of that. And that's so important to a running team. What we what we saw in 18 and 19, it was more they were receiving the -hmm. defensive line and the linebackers as opposed to taking the fight to them. That's what we mean by catching. It it was more like they were pass blocking at all times. Um, and that was a problem because they they were getting pushed back. And that right. line of scrimmage was being established in the backfield, and that negatively affects any kind of run game that you're right. trying to produce in the backfield because the running back doesn't have lanes, running back doesn't have an opportunity to make that one cut and go. And the timing, just, it, it impacts the timing. The timing is timing. so off, yes. Because what you want a running back to do is, is you want a running back to stay on. So running backs have what we call run tracks. Tracks, yep. Okay? And what that is is, so if I'm running a stretch play, from you know an eye or a pistol formation it's going to look different than an outside zone so i'm taking my step and teams will coach it differently but the way sure. we coached it when i when i coached that inside zone was if it was to a tight end you are running at the inside hip of the tight end if it was to an open side meaning no tight end then you were running to the outside hip of the tackle okay right. essentially you get on that track and you uh, follow the inside hip of the tight end until you're ready to make your vertical insertion or bounce it depending on what your read is and then sure. you're taught if you see color, which means the guy, the defender flashes outside. If you see color, you cut inside. If you see no color, you stay on your track and you follow it outside, essentially. It's, you know, making it a little more complicated than that, but it's, it, you'll, yeah. you get the point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you want to stay on that track as long as possible. <clears throat> if your offensive line is not, is not being, getting a push on the up front, then what happens is, is if that line, if the line of scrimmage just stays where it is at the snap, that means the back in three steps is where is where he's at the line. He's got to make his cut. As opposed to when the line is getting movement, you may be on step seven, eight, nine, ten before you make your cut. Right. Well, once a back makes his cut, the defense he he's declared to the defense, this is where I'm going. And so by 
forcing earlier cuts, you then put your running backs in position to where now the defense knows where they're going. And because he hasn't taken more steps, the defense hasn't flowed as much, which means they're still kind of condensed into that area, which is why I think Notre Dame's run game struggled so much against good teams in the past, uh, in the past couple of seasons. So it, 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 that's a so you say okay well it looked way different in 2020 you it did i would encourage all of you to go look at you know watch two or three games this year where you were notre dame ran the ball effectively against a good team and and watch how they played and then go watch how they ran it last year against good teams and, and you're gonna see same concepts same right. schemes yep as much as there was talk about oh they're running more outside zone they ran outside zone last year they ran it right. 2018 they ran it 2017 they ran inside zone they ran the G schemes this year as they ran the emphasis maybe they ran it more or less at other times but i could point you plenty of outside zone plays mm-hmm. that went for big yard in previous seasons the difference this year is they just executed it so much more effectively right yep and so how's that going to look because here's the thing about coach Quinn when he was hired what we said was he's going to be really good really good pass blocking. And that was my one knock on Coach Stan. Sure. I felt at times Notre Dame was too aggressive up front right? where it would hurt them a little bit in, as pass blockers. We saw with Mike McGlinchey, especially in 2017. You have to ask yourself, okay, great pass blocker. But like you said, I, I love how you started with talking about pass blocking first because it's a mindset difference. Pass blocking it and run blocking is, is a mindset different. And the great coaches can kind of get you to do both. I personally would have you – I'd rather err on the side of the Harry Heastan issue where maybe you're a little too aggressive. Sure, me too. Then you're being too passive. Yes. <clears throat> At Cincinnati, they were, again, a very much a pass-blocking team, and they were almost like the, kind of the modern-day RPO teams that we see like USC. They would run more than USC did, but they, the run game was sort of a, a keep-a-team-honest sure. type of feel, which is fine. Uh, you know, I personally like to, to be more running oriented, but that's kind of how they were. And that was my concern. And then of course, the last two years, Notre Dame wasn't real good at running the football. And then this year, all of a sudden they're really good at running the football. What's the run game going to look like this year without all that Harry Heastan influence. That's sure. my biggest question going into this, this 2020 season, but it raises an intriguing question, Vince. You're losing four starting offensive linemen. They're all Harry Heastan guys. Well, what did Harry Heastan want? Physical, run blockers, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> Harry Heastan has recruited, or Jeff Quinn's kind of recruited a different kind of guy. But Jeff Quinn is someone who is a, more of a pass blocking guy. We've talked about wanting to open up the offense, spread things out, be more of an RPO-based type of system. Is now the time? Is this make it the perfect time? and the perfect circumstances for you to say, okay, now's the time to make that change. We're not going to make that change with four starting offensive line yeah. coming back or Harry Heastan guys and Ian Book, who's not necessarily a takeover game kind of thrower. You know, that's gone now. We're going to have a, a Jack Cone, who's, I think, a better passer. Doesn't have the arm that Ian Book had, but a better passer. Maybe he has a better arm. We just haven't seen him use it as much. Not the athlete that Ian Book was. No. A lot of weapons on the outside. Because of the changes – because now it's a Jeff Quinn unit, because remember how we talked about Brian Kelly needs to go back to his roots? Yep. Cincinnati, up-tempo, pushing sure. since Grand Valley State. Who's his offensive line coach on all those teams? The two title teams at, at Grand Valley State, all the Central Michigan teams, and the Cincinnati teams. Vince? That would be Jeff Quinn. That's right. Yes. So 
I mean, that's an offense Jeff Quinn knows, right? In my opinion, and and, and, and I just I don't want to cut you off, but I want to make sure everybody yes, understands. You <laughs> You're right because you uh, have a good point to make. So <laughs> uh, I want to make sure everybody understands there are there, there's kind of two different ways to block RPOs. There is the run heavy blocking for an RPO, and then there's more of the kind of pass blocking RPO, and yeah, and you have to be careful. Because, you know, everybody always says, well, with an RPO, the offensive line never knows what it's going to be, so they just block a run. That's yeah. true, but they also have to be careful not to go upfield. Right. Because if they go upfield, then that's an illegal man downfield, et cetera. So it's Which a little rarely bit gets less. Called, but yes, it is. You're right. Is. You're right. But you have to be a little less aggressive with your run blocking in well, an RPO system. You know, am I, am let, I, me, let, me, let me correct you a little bit. I don't think fine. you have to be. I think some teams do that. And okay. let me explain that, right? This is how it works, okay? So if you're running inside zone and you have, you know, you're, you're blocking the hard inside zone to the right, you've got everybody kind of blocking hard for the inside zone. And then you do something to protect the backside. You either run a read zone, you have a tight end there, or something like sure. that, right? So what some teams will do with this is they will kind of lock it. So they'll have, so they'll run inside zone to the right. And so they'll have those guys blocking hard on the inside zone, but on the backside, it's almost like they're more base blocking. So they're protecting the backside. They're still, so what they're able to do is they're, they can still protect and block the cutback lanes. Sure. But they're also a little bit more protecting if the quarterback is going to keep it and throw it. And we'd see this, this is what chip long did a lot in 2018. And if you want to see what this looks like, go watch that RPO video because I believe there's some cut-ups of that. But then just watch Notre Dame with Ian Book, a quarterback in 2018, when he completed 70% of his passes because right. they ran a lot of RPOs back then. I was breaking down the Virginia Tech game. Well, I wasn't breaking it down. I couldn't sleep the other night. And so I had the all-22 of the 2018 Virginia Tech game. I just was like on my iPad. So I was like, oh, let me break this down. And so I'm just watching. I'm like, man, they ran a mess load of RPOs back then, you know, and they ran a bubble screen to Cole Komet that went for 10 yards. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they don't have the playmakers to run RPOs. You had a tight end ran it, got a 10 yard right. gain on a bubble screen. Okay. Right. So anyway, um, and I believe it was on third down. So that that's what you can do is you, you can alter your schemes to where you're still run blocking front side hard. Sure. But back because on an inside zone, I'm more concerned about the backside guys getting too far downfield because sure. they're usually working up to that second level. Correct. The play side guys usually don't get as hard up the field. So by doing that lock kind of backside, they're still blocking for the run, but you've protected yourself if the quarterback is going to pull and throw. And that's kind of the other way you can do it to your point. Right. I, I think both work. I think you have to figure out what works best for you and your team. I think both work. North Carolina is more of in Oklahoma are more of what you refer to, Vince, which is, you know, they're a gap scheme and and gap schemes are are more left right than north south from a blocking standpoint. Right. A gap scheme is yep. essentially so I have a I have a, a lineman here, right? defensive lineman and i've got a if you're watching on the video i'm going to do this like really ghetto like kind of breakdown so a gap scheme is essentially here's the defender and you block down of him right and then somebody else kind of pulls around and you try to create a gap by a down block and a kick or a wrap and, and pull right 
Whereas a zone scheme is more, we're kind of working together to get movement and, and the, the run can kind of be cut anywhere. Whereas a gap right. scheme, you're kind of more to trying to determine the run. It's lanes. like you're hitting the B hole, you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, and know. so, uh, going back to like eighth grade football, yeah, you Oklahoma know? does a lot of that. Right. North Carolina does a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And those are things that you're less prone to number one, get guys downfield, but more so it kind of fits that RPO system, which is what Brian Kelly ran before they hired here. He stand. So Harry, he was brought in to make some of the changes. We saw more physicality, more running yeah. the football, those kind of things. Well, that influence is gone. Now wouldn't be a bad time to kind of go back to the previous sure. concepts. Now you that do, still run zones, still run those, I mean, still run counter, still run the concepts you did, but maybe you alter some of the backside stuff because one of the issues Notre Dame had in 2020 was protecting the backside because they didn't run RPOs and they were such an aggressive run team. They had issues a lot of times protecting the backside. Unfortunately, had really good running backs that could make people miss. Right, but that's an issue. Well, RPOs and those types of things help protect against that it, it attacks that so now would be a great time to make that move i think it fits with what jeff quinn is best at uh and it eliminates the need to just drive people off the ball constantly now you still want to do that right we're not saying that but i think now yes. you could do it a little bit different way and here's the other part let me explain this last piece of it too vince we were having a discussion on the the uh the notre dame uh we have a irish breakdown fan page on on facebook get there and we were having a discussion today we're talking on it since we still don't have a flipping message board at, at irishbreakdown.com don't get me started on that and somebody said well a guy made a point he's like well look notre dame played to its strengths in 2020 so well, how so well they, they used a lot of two and three tight ends and i said well i don't think that's necessarily playing to your strengths that's just a personnel grouping playing to your strengths means you have really good tight ends so you use them in all types of different ways Tommy Tremble caught eight passes in the first two games. He caught 11 passes in the next 10. Yeah, That's not using your strengths. Brock Wright being on the field and never being a pass weapon is not using your strengths. In fact, what you've done is you've made your strength, which is running the football, even harder. Because you've got more tight ends, you got more guys in the box. Well, and because you're not using them in the pass game, teams right. can be more aggressive bringing yes. their safeties down. Absolutely. They can they can be more condensed, and there's less room to run the football. I mean, Correct. again, I'm going to point out once again that Kyron Williams, who I think we would all agree is is a better running back than Tony Jones Jr. Can we all agree on that? I, and I love Tony Jones Jr. Kyron's so better. Kyron averaged 5.3 yards per carry last year. Tony Jones in his last year, no, 2019. Average 5.95 yards per carry. The last time Notre Dame had a running back that averaged starting running back that averaged fewer than 5.9 yards per carry was all the way back in 2014. Right? So he was significantly lower, Kyron Williams, in yards per carry than any back since 2014. That's not because of Kyron Williams. That's because he was always running into outnumbered boxes and the line was so good and him and Chris Tyree were so good they could still be successful with it. Sure. If you if you change your scheme to be more balanced to where if you are going to be three tight ends, you better throw it more. Right. Uh, mixing up your personnel, those things take pressure off the run game, which takes pressure off the offensive line. Finding ways schematically to take pressure off the offensive line is m- so important in this particular year. And so that's why I say, even though we're talking about the Jeff Quinn era beginning, it's almost kind of, it's like, I didn't mean it this way at the beginning, but now I kind of feel we need to say that is part of going back to your roots with Brian Kelly means it's time for Jeff Quinn to go back to his roots as well. 
And you've got and, a guy. I mean, you guys did it together. You guys yeah. were already together doing this. Let, let's right. Hey, let's get that old uh, playbook out of mothballs right. and let's make Doesn't it. Doesn't mean you don't run the ball. Oklahoma I'm runs the ball that at all. a mess. Yeah. North Carolina throws the ball a lot. They had a quarterback that had almost 4,000 yards passing last year. They threw for well over 300 yards a game, and they had 2,000-yard running backs. That's Correct. the great thing about the modern era is you can do both. Oklahoma's had two straight Heisman-winning quarterbacks, and I think Jalen Hurts finished second or third, right, in right. the third year. And they ran for over 200 yards in, I think, all those seasons. So right. it's a different era. And so that's what – I'm not saying go back to where you run the ball as sort of a keep teams honest, but be a running team that that spreads the field – uses more RPOs, gets the ball outside, does those type of things, because I think that's going to take a, pre- a lot of pressure off the offensive line in a year where you need to take pressure off the offensive line. And so I think that's a big year for him. And I also think this is a huge year for Jeff Quinn, and we'll get into this another time. I think it's a big year for him as well in the recruiting trail. I agree. Because th- there are some areas where the offensive line recruiting has been really good the last couple of years, but yep. there's also some areas where it's been problematic and this class is going to have to fix that. And as I look and see a lot of the top tackles in the country, I don't see Notre Dame leading for a lot of those guys. Yeah. And so finishing strong in the recruiting trail is going to be a big part of it. And I feel like success on the field this season in the ways that we talked about with all those personnel losses is only going to solidify his standing as one of the better line coaches in the country. I don't think he can claim that yet. His 2020 line was one of the best, but again, Extenuum circumstances. He's got to. He's if he can be successful on the field this year, then a lot of the knocks that teams have used against him. That's Harry's guys. That's Harry's team. Blah blah blah. That's all gone. Right. Which is going to then make him a more effective uh, recruiter as well. So that's why I say it is the it is the beginning of the Jeff Quinn era, but it's also a big year for him because this year could have a big impact on what the future of the Notre Dame offensive line is going to look like, which in turn refers to the future of the Notre Dame offense. And, you know, this is an opportunity for for Jeff Quinn to kind of, you know, show everybody that he can do it at this level and he can yeah. do it at this level by himself because, right. you know, we don't know what the graduate assistant situation is. It is. Chris Watt. It won't be a Chris Watt kind of guy. That, those, are rare. those are rare. Right. And so this is all on his shoulders, good or bad. This is all on his shoulders. And look, we were both critical of the Jeff Quinn hire when he came in. But we're both willing. If he if he goes out there and this offensive line has one heck of a year, look, I'll be the I'll be the first one. I've, in line. I've already yeah, I've already praised them. I mean, I thought Absolutely. again, look, he did some uh, some really good things this past and, and, year. And to allow Chris Watt to come in, I think right. it was huge. Kudos, absolutely yeah. huge. Kudos I, to to take a step back uh, or or just to allow that other voice. I think is yeah. He didn't take a step back. He was still very you know involved. I mean, but it's, but yeah, yeah, it's it's allowing someone else to sure. have a very strong voice in that room. Yeah. was important. And, I think that's and, huge. So I, yeah. it's going to be fun to watch how this offensive line does. And they, look, if they have a great season, I I'll be the first one to say how it is Jeff Quinn yeah. that we need to talk about. Yeah, because if we can see the old school Jeff Quinn by and also have some of the influences he got from working with Harry and then Chris right. Watt and put those together, well, I tell you what, because th- there's a lot of talent coming back on the offensive line, Vince, and sure. I think if they can protect it scheme wise. I think we could see this group step up big, and it's going to need to be it. This is going to be a very important piece to whether or not Notre Dame is going to be able to keep things going and not only be as good as they've been, but in, on offense be a lot better. They need to be a lot better. They're capable of being a lot better, but it's going to start with this group right here. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Uh, make sure that you hit that subscribe button, that notification button. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast, And, of course, Make sure you check out irishbreakdown.com.
because there's always new and exciting things to read over there. Uh, so for Brian Driscoll, I'm Vince D'Addario. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.